Perfect. All right. Well, good morning again. It's good to see all your smiling faces. I'm doing this. Um, yeah, this is kind of just a one-off message, but it's just been really kind of on my heart. Have you ever felt like you're just in a rut? Like you're just not going anywhere, and it's like you're just kind of going through the motions and, and, and doing all that stuff, and, and you feel like there should be something more. There should be something more to my faith. There should be something more to my life, but it just feels like I'm not getting anywhere, kind of like the hamster on the wheel. You know, you're running, you feel, feel like you're running, but you're just not getting anywhere. That's why I hate treadmills. I just really, when I go to exercise, like I like to go run. I like to go run out and go around blocks and see different things and stuff. The treadmill, I just sit there and after like two minutes, I'm like, I haven't gotten anywhere. This is kind of useless. So um, that was funny to me. I don't know. That was good. But that's yeah, right. But this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about it because I think you and I were created to run. That that's what we're called to do. When God changed our lives, when we came in and made that decision to follow him, that we were called to continue to run. Remember, little kids, if you've been around, if you had little kids, or you've been around little kids, they don't walk anywhere. They're always just bing, bing, bing everywhere. I mean, our kids, like, it was just always just running, running, running. I'm like, gosh, where did you get all the energy? But I think that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be running this race. We're supposed to be running in our faith and everything. And I think we need to get a sanctified dissatisfaction with where we are. And that's really what I want to talk about. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3 for me. If you don't have a Bible, we have them around. Grab it. Um, If you don't have one, you can put your name in that. You can keep it. Um, I didn't put it up there, but we also have Wi-Fi. If you want to use our Wi-Fi, it's GBC Guest. Just type in find more, all lower caps, and you can follow along there. But this morning, as I said at the beginning of service, we believe these are the words that, the only words that are important. These are the only words that matter. Uh, My words, my ideas, my thoughts mean nothing compared to these words. And so my hope and my prayer is that these are the ones that pierce your heart. And so out of respect of these words and out of acknowledgement of the authority of these words, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me real quick. Reading Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, Paul writes this. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity, God, just to gather in your name as your people. God, you knew everyone that would be here. God, you knew everything that needs to be said. God, you knew everything that needs to be done. And so, Father, I just simply ask, move me out of the way. God, I want you to be the only one that gets credit for whatever happens today. God, we thank you that we don't have to ask you to be here or to come and be a part of the service, God, because you were here before we ever woke up this morning. And so, Father, I just I just ask, I plead, will you just move in our lives, God, whatever hindrance, whatever things going on, whatever's going on in our life and all that stuff, God, that you would just kind of quiet all those other voices so that the only voice we hear this morning is yours. So, Father, we pray for ears to hear, for hearts to respond and for the courage to live it out, God, because I believe we were made for so much more. God, that we are called to do so much more. And so, Father, just have your way this morning. God, let us be different 
Let us be changed because we were in your presence this morning. Father, again, just speak. Let these be your words, not mine. And may you get all the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, I, I believe we need to get a sanctified dissatisfaction. I, I think too often we become satisfied where we are. I think that's happening in our churches all over the world today. I think that's happening in our faith. I think it happens just in life. We get someplace and it gets comfortable. We get used to just doing the same thing over and over. You know, I come in, I sing this many songs. I raise my hand at this moment. I say amen because there's a little, it's almost like we have the old applause meter back there. I should have that. I think so. The old applause thing where I just sit there and like, okay, that's an amen moment. Click. Amen. amen. No. All right. But we get used to things. We get used to patterns and stuff. And we get comfortable and, and we settle for that. And I talk to so many people week after week that they've grown up in the church or they've grown up with some kind of faith or, or they're living this life. And they think they've made it. They're good. And they just sit here like, this is good enough. I don't think God ever made us and created us and put into us the idea that we should ever be satisfied with what we have (coughs) or what we're doing or where we are. I'm not saying that we should always be looking for the grass is always green. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, especially in our faith, that there should always be movement. And we (coughs) we don't. We, We stop. We settle for where we are to be comfortable. And we choose to walk when we are supposed to be running. We're supposed to be moving forward. In fact, in fact, that's what Paul says in very first, very first, the first verse of this whole passage in verse 12. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. This is Paul talking. Paul is sitting there telling this church and telling us today that the guy that wrote the majority of this, <coughs> the guy that it's. Because of him and God using him that we have churches for us Gentiles. That he went out and spread and created churches and started a movement and he gave direction. Also, this is the guy that sits here and goes, I'm not there yet. He's writing this in prison. (laughs) He's writing, this is one of the last things that he's writing. And he's saying like, hey guys, by the way, I'm not there yet. I've done everything. I've written all these letters and all this stuff, and it's all going to be great, but I'm not there yet. And he understands that I still have to grow. I still have to change. There's more that God wants to reveal to me. Do you understand that eternity is not long enough for us to understand everything there is to know about God? Isn't that good news? Because if I already know everything I need to know about God and how to live for him and how to be his child right now, that God is way too small for any of my time or my effort. So even Paul sits there. And so what happens is we get in a rut. Maybe we've served our whole life and everything. And we're just like, hey, I'm at the point now where I can just sit back and let someone else do it. Or, you know, I've heard that sermon before. I've heard that preached a thousand times, and it was better the last time. I know those. We get in this rut. It's like John 3.16. Everyone knows John 3.16. Does anyone not know John 3.16? Because we can learn it today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's we see it at football games, at sporting events, guys holding up the sign. We see it, all that stuff. You know, every time I hear that verse, I hear something new about God's love for me. But we get into a rut. We get, we get stuck 
And so I want to talk about how we get in the rut, and then I want to talk about how we get out of that rut and what it's supposed to actually look like. So the very first thing is I believe we become self-satisfied. We think, I've made it. This is good enough. I'm happy with this. I'm comfortable with this. I make, I make a nice income. I make a nice this. Everyone's happy. Everyone likes me. I'm good. And we get self-satisfied in that. And it's so dangerous for us to be self-satisfied because we should be constantly growing and moving forward. By the way, if you have a plant and it's not growing anymore, what do you do with it? <laughs> Throw it away because it's dead. <laughs> Unless it's a fake one. I have a porch full of fake plants. People come by like, I love your plants. I'm like, I know, I worked hard on those. <laughs> I just dust them every so often. And no. But see, I think there's a couple of things that happens with a self-satisfied person. Is first of all, is we get in the comparison game. We start comparing ourselves to other people. As churches, we compare ourselves with other churches. I mean, it always happens stuff. It should never happen, but, but it really does happen. You know, we're a little tiny church. Says, man, if we were only this big church and, and doing this, or, man, if we had that or that, or if I, you know, I'm not as bad as them. Look at those people. They're horrible sinners. I'm only a partially bad sinner. <laughs> you know, we get in this comparison game, and the truth is, is we're not supposed to compare ourselves to others. Isn't that what Paul is saying in verse 12? Not that I already have reached the goal. Or I'm already perfect. He's not comparing himself to other people. And Paul had every right to compare himself to others. You read earlier in Philippians, he talks about like, listen, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I was all this stuff. And right before this, but I count all that as loss as to knowing Christ. Everything, all my accomplishments, all my pedigree, everything that I have is nothing compared to knowing Christ. Because and the truth is we should compare ourselves first to ourselves. Don't look at anybody else. Ask the hard questions. Ask yourself, hey, today, am I more like Jesus? Am I closer to God than I was one year ago today? Is my faith stronger today? Is my faith, not someone else's faith, not some other church, not anything, but where am I as I was yesterday or the week before or the year before? Because if you and I are not growing more like Jesus on a daily basis, then there is a problem with our faith. And I know we don't like this word. More than likely it is sin. There's something stopping us. And so we compare ourselves to ourselves, but then also we compare ourselves to the one that is perfect, the only one worthy to be compared to, that's Jesus. And unless you can get out here and walk on water, raise people from the dead and heal it, you ain't there yet either. If there's never a sinful thought, if there's never a sinful action, don't you love that Jesus took the Ten Commandments and he's like, yes, don't do this, but also don't think this thing because it's a matter of the heart. See, the Pharisees were really good back then teaching, and we're, we've become, we still have a lot of pharisaical kind of preaching going on today. It's like, listen, it matters what you look like. It matters what you do and everything. And Jesus says, no, it matters what's in your heart because that will matter everything else, you know? Don't cheat on your wife, but also don't lust after someone else. When you give, give with a cheerful heart. That's why we say giving is an act of worship here. Jesus made it, it's about a heart issue. When, when you see a brother in need, it's your heart. It's not necessarily what we do, it's a heart issue. If we can deal with the heart, guys, everything else will fall in line. 
This is what used to always get me in trouble in youth ministry. I'd have parents come up and say, you, you preach my daughter should never date. I'm like, really? <laughs> Can you show me that? <laughs> no, no, you preach that they should never, ever date. I was like, I tell you what, here's what I'll do. I'll preach that they should get me. You should betroth them when they're 12 years old and that they should be married by their 13 because Mary was 13 when she had Jesus. So if we do that, we're good. How about I teach that God teaches us to have a pure heart? Because if we deal with the heart, then we're going to deal with everything else. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to others. We need to start comparing ourselves with Jesus. He's the ultimate goal. In fact, here's the goal, guys. Matthew 5.48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anybody there yet? Because if you are here, <laughs> please, you are, you, are, you are more suited for me to do this than I am. See, none of us are there yet, you know. And I know, it's like, you know, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You, you're right. Jesus was, and we are supposed still to be. By the way, that standard has never changed since creation. Do we understand that? The standard when God created us and when he said it's all very good was perfection. We're the ones that gave that up. It's never changed. Thank God Jesus came and he lived the perfect life and was the perfect sacrifice. And because of him, we can be seen as perfect. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But that's the standard. And so we need to stop comparing ourselves to others we need to compare ourselves to ourselves and we need to compare ourselves to jesus the other thing is self-evaluation we are really good about self-evaluation i'm i'm a big proponent of this i think we should evaluate i think you should look at what you're doing and say hey am, am i doing better am i good i think we can always do it better that's why we put a survey in our bulletin because i want to hear like hey what can we do better we are not doing the best yet we can always always do better and so I believe that. But the problem with self-evaluation is sometimes we make ourselves better than we actually are. See, when we are self-satisfied, when we don't think, when we think this is good enough and this is, I don't have to move anymore, I don't have to grow anymore, I don't have to do anything, we start looking at ourselves and we just make ourselves better than what we actually are. You guys remember the story of the rich young ruler? It's found in almost every gospel. Matthew is one of my favorite, where the rich young ruler comes up, he sees Jesus. This guy's got everything. He's made it. Um, he's, he's got money. He's got wealth. He's got popularity and all stuff. And Jesus comes to him, and he looks at Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I got everything else, but I know something's missing, Jesus. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus answer him? He's like, keep the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't, don't steal. Don't cheat. You know, don't cuss. Don't chew. Don't date girls that do. You know? And he looks at Jesus and says, man, I'm there. I have, I have, I've done it. I made it. And what did Jesus say? Okay, go sell everything that you have and follow me. Be willing to let go of all the things that are the most important to you. Make me number one. Come follow me. And Bible says the rich and ruler went away sad. See, he thought he was better than he actually was. He thought he was in a better place. And I'm not saying don't treat yourself, don't knock yourself down like I'm just dirt. I'm a worm and all this stuff. And God just should just step on me and make me an oil spot because I'm just, I'm not worthy. And I'm not saying don't be self-defeating and all that stuff. But I'm saying we need to have an honest look at where we are. Are we being obedient? 
are, are, are we telling the story of what God has called him to do? Listen, I just, I've said this before, and I hear this all the time. If it be God's will, I'll do this. If it be God's will, can I tell you right now, just to help, you know what God's will is for your life? Every person on this planet, it's very, very simple. It's God's will for you to know him and to make him known. Where you do that, how you do that, a lot of times it's up to you and God opens doors and you can step through them and do all stuff. But the basis of God's will is to know him and to make him known. And I can do that as a pastor. I can do that as a security guard at Universal Studios. I can do that as a garbage man picking up trash during the week. I can do it anywhere. I can know God and make him known. That is the will of God for our lives. Can I tell you, God doesn't always care where you park. <laughs> that you get a good parking space. That's a prayer. That's a prayer that happens every day when I go to work. I'm like, God, please, I'm running late. Give me a good parking space. He really doesn't care. Where you go to school, all that stuff, you can align it with what God's word says, but God's will is to know him and to make him known. That's it. And so when we self-evaluate and we, and we just say, hey, I'm, I'm this good, maybe not. The other problem with self-evaluation is that we make ourselves worse. <laughs> It's like we, we love extremes in our culture, don't we? It's either like here, here. There is no more middle ground. Have you noticed that? If you listen to the news at all in any political arguments, there is no more middle ground. It's so exhausting <laughs> to hear this. I love that this country used to be a place where we could come and disagree and afterwards go and have a cup of coffee and say, hey, good. All right, we agree to disagree. There's no middle ground. But here we, we make ourselves worse. I grew up, I grew up in a Southern Baptist you know, upbringing and stuff like that, little country churches. And I remember hearing, like, preachers going, you are nothing, you are worm, you are dirt. It's only grace of God that you're even, like, being able to walk right now. And you just live with this pressure of, like, guilt and, 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 and all this stuff that's going on in your life. And, and we're just like, I'm so terrible, I'm useless, I can't do anything. Why should I even try? It's ridiculous. It's just as, it's just as bad as making ourselves better is when we make ourselves worse. Because you're not worse. Can I ask you, can you raise your hand if you're a righteous person today? Really? We need to talk. <laughs> because here's what 2 Corinthians says. It says, he made the one who knew, did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can I tell you a secret today? An amen secret, a glory hallelujah secret. If you know Jesus, you are righteous today. In God's view, he looks at you and he sees that the sun has covered you and covered the sin. And so for us to walk around and say, God, I'm useless, I'm worthless, it is sin. It is us saying, Jesus, what you did on that cross was not good enough because I'm not good enough. He made the one who not, did not know sin, who knew no sin for. To be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Remember I told you the standard is perfect? Here's the really weird and cool thing about God. At the moment that we accept that gift, that free gift of grace, I'm saved by grace, not by works, the Bible says. That it's God's gift, that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he gave the perfect sacrifice. And then he rose again to show that it was good enough. And the moment we acknowledge our need for that and we accept that, God, in God's eyes, he looks at us and says, perfect. Righteous. 
Now, the other part of that is we spend the rest of our lives growing into what God already knows that's true about us. As we grow and we learn and we become more like Jesus, we, it's, it's instantaneous and it's a process at the same time. Don't you love God? God puts these things in that we really can't explain and stuff. Isn't that awesome? Because, again, if I can explain everything there is to know about God, that's a pretty lame God. You know, fully God, fully man, Jesus. The Trinity, which the word's never used, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, we're not preaching on that today. We're not even, we're not even going there. <laughs> Perfect and righteous and yet still being transformed. That's the reality of it. And so we need to stop looking at ourselves as too good or too horrible and just look at ourselves the way God looks at us. I am saved by grace. Favorite quote. John Newton, author of Amazing Grace. I've said it over and over again. There are two things I know. God is a great Savior and I am a great sinner. And so... We need to get out of this whole idea of being self-satisfied. We need to be out of the idea that this is all there is because as long as there's breath in your body, as long as there's movement in your legs, and there's blood flowing, there's stuff for you to learn, there's stuff for you to do. The only retirement in this Bible is absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so if you're breathing today, if you're moving, if there's blood still pumping, if you're like my grandfather, he got some help. He had a bottle of Jack Daniels by his thing. I was like, Granddad, what's that for? He's like, it's for my blood to move. I'm like... Granddad, that bottle was full yesterday. Your blood's flowing really well. Put it away. (laughs) Whatever it takes, if your blood's flowing, if you're breathing, there are still things to learn. There are still things to do. There are still things to grow in. We need to get a divine dissatisfaction. If we were meant to run, if we're supposed to run, we need to get tired of just walking everywhere. And so the very first thing is we need to move forward. We need to keep moving forward. Look at verse 13. Paul reiterates, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to take in hold of it. I'm not there yet. I still have things to learn. I still have things to know. I still have things to grow and understand more and more things to do. But one thing I do, he says, forgetting what is behind and reaching towards what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. The idea is... I got to let go of the past. I'm not saying forget the past. I'm not saying let's not remember like where we've come from. We should never forget what God has saved, what Christ came and saved us from. We should always remember where we come. I'm not saying, but what happens is we get we get comfortable and we rest on our laurels and say, well, I've done everything and we've done this before. So, you know, nothing new. I'm saying let go. Whatever accomplishment you've had, whatever thing you've done in God's kingdom, great. Praise God. God will, God will reward you for that. But you're not done yet. So let go of what is in past and keep moving. There always needs to be forward movement in our faith. There's something new I learned. There's a new verse I've memorized. There's someone new I've talked to and shared God's story. There's a new ministry. There's a new gift. There's a new talent that God has given me. It doesn't end when i accept jesus if that was the case the moment that you and i prayed like lord come into my life forgive me i sin. okay cool boom you're dead you're in heaven the world doesn't need any more people to die for jesus what it needs is a lot of people to start living for him 
And we do that when we're moving forward. And so we let go of the past. It's great. Remember, I sit, I'm bad at it too. I sit there and go, oh man, I remember when we lived in Italy and man, we took 30 kids and like 25 of them accepted Christ. It, changes the, it changed the entire culture of the community we lived in. It was amazing. It was great. That's awesome. That happened. Praise God that happened. But there's more to do today. We've got to let go of what we've done in the past, and we have to keep growing forward. Paul talks about this. He says it in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. I ask you, for all the parents in the room, for all of you that have kids and have had kids and they're gone or you still have them, If after 20 years that kid was still in diapers and crawling around on your floor, you would think that there's some kind of issue, wouldn't you? (laughs) If the only words they can say is da-da mama, you would be like, I'm a little concerned. You're like 18 years old now. You should have a bigger vocabulary probably. You'd be worried, wouldn't you? Why aren't we worried when our faith stays like a little baby and it's not growing? Why doesn't it bother us that, like, I don't feel any closer or know more about God than I did today than I did 10 years ago? And by the way, it's not the pastor's fault. If you think it's the church's responsibility to grow you into a Christian, then you and I need to look at each other and talk about what Scripture says, that it is your responsibility. Listen, I can go to any church, any place, at any time, and I can glean something from God and His Spirit as it leads me. Whether the guy is dynamic, a speaker, or he is like one of my college professors that spoke like this all the time. says, please open Genesis 1 and let us read. I mean, that was horrible, but I still glean stuff. Because it's God's word. It should bother us if we're not growing, if we're not moving forward. It should bother us that something's going on. So, so we start letting go of what we've done and say, okay, God, that was awesome. Thank you. For allowing me to be a part of so many stories and so many lives. Thank you for what you have done in the past. But God, I am so looking forward to what you have for me in the future. What you're leading me to. What you're leading me to. That's that's what's important. We not only have to move forward, but but the idea also is you got you got to keep running. You, you, you can't stop. You, you, you can't just, just sit there and go like, oh, this is good enough. Like, I run half marathons. I haven't done it in like years. I, I really want to. There's a hint. If my daughters are watching this, I want to do the Disney marathon again. Um, a great Father's Day gift. Okay. But um, I don't know. They don't ever watch me, so it's okay. So. But I, I like to run. And listen, I'm not. Listen, my heart may say that I'm a runner from Kenya. <laughs> my body says, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, those guys run like crazy and everything. I see people run. I run, I run 30 seconds, and then I walk 30 seconds <laughs> for 13.1 miles. I'll do that, and I will finish. But I have to keep running. You know, the Disney marathons, there's these ladies called the balloon ladies. They're at the very, very back, and if they pass you, you don't get to finish. <laughs> They're like 90, so if they pass you, you shouldn't be running in the first place, all right? <laughs> But, but the truth is, is we, you have to keep running. You've got to set, you got to pursue that goal. It, it's the prize. It's, look at what he says in verse 14. 
He says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That there is a prize, there is, there is a reward, there is, there, is a, there is something that has come that God is waiting for. And I'm not talking about a big bank account. I'm not talking about popularity or power. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about God himself has a reward plan for you. In fact, we keep running and we run because the reward, 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, now everyone who competes, exercises self-control and everything they do it to receive a perishable crown but we an imperishable crown you know what I believe that crown is for me that crown is God saying well done my good and faithful servant man you finished well it's easy to start well it's hard to finish well the only way we finish well is if we keep running we we keep going we we keep moving forward isn't that what it says in hebrews set aside hebrews 12 set aside everything that hinders us and and run the race that is set before you in fact let me read it i love that verse therefore Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we have such a great, such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, all those that have gone before us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares. Let us run with endurance, endurance, the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that beautiful? Keep enduring, keep running because there's Jesus running with you. This is my picture. This is how I picture this. At the beginning of the race, and it is a marathon. It's not a sprint, guys. Life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And there are days when I'm just, I don't want to run. There are days when I just want to, like, curl up on the side and say I'm done. It is a marathon. But my picture's that there's Jesus at the starting line, and he's just like, okay, let's go. I'm going to run with you. And as that race is going on, Jesus is just running with us. That's awesome. By the way, when I run these races, I like to run with people. Because I can keep them accountable. They can tell me, like, you're almost there. You're not going to die. If you can talk, you can breathe. Okay, thank you. <gasps> I have a good friend that we always would run races together. And I love that. And it keeps me going. And Jesus is there. He's encouraging. And when I'm like, dude, I can't. My feet are blistered. My legs are sore. He's like, all right, here, I'll carry you for a little bit. But you're going to still run. And so he starts with us, and he runs with us through the entire thing. There's nowhere I can go that Jesus is present in there. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great to know that when I became a Christian, when I said, Jesus, I trust you, I want to follow you, I want to be a, a disciple of you, that his spirit indwelled me, and so there's no place I go where he's not with me at all times. And then at the very end of the race, he's the one standing at the finish line going, come on home. Well done, good and faithful servant. We can't stop running. And when you're tired, and when you feel like you can't run on, by the way, that's what the church is for. That's when we gather around each other and we carry one another. I have a good friend who used to teach a class called Swimming with Sharks. We would take students to SeaWorld, and we'd take them. If you've ever been to SeaWorld, there's this beautiful little like restaurant, and all these sharks are swimming around. And he said the difference sharks, and it's talking about the people you hang out with. 
It's like there are these sharks and these sharks. And you know sharks will like, if you get a cut, a shark's going to eat you. <laughs> if you're another shark, they don't care. He said the difference there are dolphins. Dolphins, they're a pod, they're a family when they go on. And literally, if one, per, one of the dolphins in the pod is injured, they have this recorded. There was a dolphin that was injured and just had a, like a hurt fin and couldn't swim. They would circle around that dolphin and they would take turns lifting that brother or sister up to get air. What a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. When you're hurt and you're broken, we should be the ones coming out and saying, hey, we're going to help you so that one day you can do it for someone else. But we're all going to keep running. <coughs> we're never going to stop running. We can't stop running or we won't get there. And then the final thing is we never settle. Gosh, don't settle. Don't ever say, this is as good as it's going to get. This is all I can do. Don't ever believe it, because that's making God way too small. Never, ever settle. Always, always be hungry. Always be thirsty. I want to know more, God. I, I want to know more about you. I want to know more of you. I, I want to I look more like Jesus. I want to live more like Jesus. I want to see another person come to know you. I want to see your kingdom grow. I'm never, I'm never going to be satisfied. I'm never going to settle. In fact, that's our whole theme this year. That's why I talk about one more. God, give us one more Sunday. Give us one more family. Give us one more person we can share with. Give us one more. We are not going to settle for this. We are going to keep moving forward. We never, ever settle because we're going to stay hungry. We're never going to stop learning. We're never going to stop growing. We're going to stay thirsty. We are going to live out Psalms 41, 1 and 2. As a deer longs for flowing stream, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before you, God? Stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs> Stay hungry. Never, ever settle for just walking. We are supposed to run. We were never meant just to walk around in circles, to just make it. We were never meant just to survive. I believe God called us and created us to thrive, to move on, to keep going. We were never meant to stay still or walk. I love this. Ravi Zacharias. I'll try that again. There we go. Ravi Zacharias, great apologist living today, amazing guy. Listen to his stuff all the time. I love He says, beginning well is a momentary thing. Finishing well is a lifelong thing. Anybody can begin well. It is finishing well. And to finish well, you cannot be satisfied with where you are today. You cannot say, this is good enough. I don't have to do anymore. I don't have to say anymore. I have to keep moving. As a church, if we ever get to the point where we're satisfied, like, okay, this is good enough. We don't have to reach any more people and stuff. We, we lose the right to be called the church. It is a lifelong thing. It is a marathon, and we were made to run.